Boston University School of Law, recognized for excellence in legal education since 1872. It's the faculty. It's the students. It's the curriculum. It's the inspiration. Preparing students for the real-world practice of law today. Welcome to BU Law with host David Yaggs. And thank you, Gary Tangway. Welcome to the BU Law School podcast. I'm your host, David Yaz. I'm a proud 1993 alum of the law school. I used to be the publisher of Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly. Now I'm in finance as a vice president at Bernstein Global Wealth Management. But most importantly, I'm the host of the podcast today. We have a a great, interesting, and even fun topic today, and here it is. The Constitution of the United States is the supreme law of the land, and throughout history, legal provisions like the First Amendment and Second Amendment have taken center stage. But what about the lesser-known parts of our Constitution? Well, our guest today will discuss his new book and uncover some of the most curious provisions and clauses of the Constitution with maybe a little humor mixed in. Joining me on the phone lines is Jay Wexler, professor at the BU School of Law since 2001. Now, prior to teaching, he studied religion at the University of Chicago Divinity School and law at Stanford Law School. After law school, he worked as a clerk to Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg at the U.S. Supreme Court, and then as a lawyer at the Office of Legal Counsel at the Department of Justice. In addition to his first book, Holy Hullabaloos, make sure you get that right, Jay has published nearly two dozen academic articles, essays, and reviews, as well as over 40 short stories and humor pieces in places like the Boston Globe, Spy Magazine, Mental Floss, and McSweeney's. Jay is here to discuss his new book. It's called The Odd Clauses, Understanding the Constitution Through Ten of Its Most Curious Provisions, published by Beacon Press and, by the way, available Amazon.com and other places online. Welcome to the show, Jay. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. So now tell us, how did you come up with this idea? You're, You're obviously no no intellectual lightweight, having clerked for Justice Ginsburg and an impeccable resume, and yet you focus on some of these offbeat provisions of the Constitution. How'd you get the idea? The idea, uh, the idea came to me about 10 years ago. I was at um, the Justice Department working at the Office of Legal Counsel, which is this little office that gives constitutional advice to, to various people in the executive branch. And um, we would always we we dealt with a lot of the big time provisions, the First Amendment and due process and everything like that. But we spent a lot of time working on these weird clauses that I had never heard of when I went to law school, and uh, I just thought they were incredibly interesting. And then there was this one day where my friend uh, uh, my friend Ruby uh, got this assignment where she had to figure out whether uh, President Clinton could accept some sort of uh, title or something from uh, from an African country. He was on his tour of Africa. And the question was whether this violated the Titles of Nobility Clause. Mm-hmm. And she was running around trying to find out if anybody knew anything about the Titles of Nobility Clause. And of course, I didn't even know there was a Titles of Nobility Clause. But I, you know, that very day, I thought, wow, it would be pretty cool to write a book about these weird clauses that nobody ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's when the idea came to me. And of course, it wasn't until I got tenure that I could actually write it. But uh, I've been thinking about it for a decade. So what, did President Clinton ultimately be able to accept the Title of Nobility? I think he could, but I can't remember why. I just can't remember. I think it was like not an official title or or something. I, I can see remember. him just smiling and saying, I don't see what the big ideal is. They, <laughs> they just want to call me this. What a title. Right, right. He just wants a title. Um, so the interesting thing about this is, you know, we, we you know, we 
study so much about the First Amendment and the and the other amendments. Are there are there little nooks and crannies in the? You would think the Constitution was so well traveled. Are there little nooks and crannies where there are things that are actually sort of funny and maybe out of place? Uh, there are all sorts of things in there that are funny. Uh, and give us some examples. Uh, I mean, there's a everything from the phrasing of certain parts of it. Like uh, there's this one part which says the president from time to time shall report on the state of the union, something like that. From time to time. Mm. Uh, uh, which is very weird. And, um, there's, um, the, 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 recently there was this issue about the public debt clause, uh, and, uh, and about whether pr- the president could lift the, the, uh, the debt ceiling unilaterally. And all of a sudden everybody started reading this part of Article 4 about the public debt clause, which says that the public debt shall not be questioned. Mm. I mean, what a weird, I mean, the passive voice in the Constitution is very weird. So, yeah, they're all over the place, if you read it carefully. Did that did that have a bearing on the recent debt talks? Well, I think uh, there was a controversy. Some people said the president could, in fact, use that his power under, under that uh, public debt clause in Article 4 to raise the debt limit unilaterally. Um, I think that most people, including myself, just uh, looked at it and thought, no, that's uh, that's not what that clause is about. But uh, but it was part of the conversation for sure. Is, is it simply a matter of that this document was written so long ago and maybe not every clause was has been held up to scrutiny over the years? Because I know that in Massachusetts, every year you can go back and you can find some pretty strange laws on the books, things like it's illegal to scare pigeons in public places <laughs> or there was another law for a while. I don't know if it's still there that... It's against the law for anyone over the age of 14 to swear at a sporting event, which for some reason opened the doors for everyone younger than 14 to say whatever they wanted. <laughs> Those are um, the things you see in the taxi cabs. Yeah, ex- yeah, right. Well, exactly. And there are there you, you occasionally see stories about loony laws, and typically they're simply not enforced. Uh-huh. But um, is similar in the Constitution or not? Well, um, no, I think. It's it's it depends. Um, so there's some weird stuff in there that um, that just that made sense at the time, like the letters of Mark clause is one of the clauses I talk about in my book, and it made a lot of sense in in the late 18th century. Uh, the Congress would give these uh, private ships the right to uh, the authority to go out and fight pirates because we didn't have a navy, and there was a real fear about having a standing navy in the early republic, mm-hmm. and. So it made sense then, but then when we when we decided that we we were okay with having a standing navy, and when the rest of the world decided that privateering was really not a good idea and signed a treaty outlawing it, a treaty that we the U.S. did not sign, in fact, but um, basically people stopped privateering, and so uh, the letters of Mark clause is kind of uh, goes into hiding or. Uh, uh, you know, hibernation for 200 years or whatever, and it just doesn't come up. But then, then all of a sudden, somebody uh, like Ron Paul says, maybe we should uh, use the letter of Mark clause to fight the Somalian pirates. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there it is again. You know, so so they come and go, and mm-hmm. sometimes they'll go out of vogue for a couple hundred years, but you never know when they might pop back in to uh, to to the conversation. Well, we're interested here to see you targeted Scott Brown or a situation involving Scott Brown and, and one of these interesting nuances in the Constitution. And uh, apparently, Senator Brown hold, holds or held, you can correct me, positions in both the Senate and the National Guard. And there's a provision in the Constitution that speaks to that. Tell us how that played out. So there's uh, something in Article 1 of the Constitution that says 
that if you're an, an executive officer of some type, you can't also be a member of the House or Senate. It's basically a separation of powers provision that says you can't be in both branches at once. And Scott Brown is, of course, he's a senator, and he also seems to be in, uh, have, he has a position in the JAG Corps in the National Guard, mm-hmm. which is arguably uh, an officer for purposes of this provision in the executive branch. And um, so I, I noticed that on the on the news one day. I had not focused on that before, and I I, I thought to myself, what is that? Doesn't seem like. Uh, that's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's arguably a constitutional problem. And uh, it turns out it's complicated. The National Guard, whether he's an officer for purposes of this clause uh, as a member of the National Guard is, is, is questionable. He may or may not be. But there's certainly a, important, there's certainly a, a reasonable argument that he, can, he should not be in the National Guard if he's also a senator. And while, we're at it, while we're at it, we might as well take away John Kerry's purple hearts. I mean, he's always talking about those things. I don't know whether he, he holds any official designation in the, in the military, but I assume he doesn't. But who yeah, knows? Yeah, well, you can, you can be in the, in the executive and then go to Congress, or you can be in Congress and then go to the right. executive. That happens all the time. The problem is when you're in both at the same time. Let's talk about the situation involving President Obama using what's known as an auto pen when he, when he signed the, the Patriot Act extension and whether that was improper. First off, I, I need to ask you because I don't know. What, what is an auto pen? I, I don't really know what it no is one knows. exactly. It's just some sort of machine that uh, signs your name. You know, you sign a na- your name and then it it's a computer or something. Oh, this and is just one of those lazy person signature things, like a stamp or something, right? Basically. Or an electron- yeah. Basically. Okay, so he, I, see, I didn't know this. So the president used it to sign a particular extension of the Patriot Act. Can you do that? I think you can. Uh, it was, it's not out, uh incredibly clear. I remember when I was at the Justice Department 10 years ago or whatever, there was um, a bill that needed to be signed right away. It might have been one of those bills that extends extends the um, the funding for the government or something. So it had to be signed that day or whatever. And Clinton was in Turkey or something. And the question was, so can we fax it to him and have him sign it? Or can he tell somebody to sign it for him? And nobody really knew. And, and that in that instance, like had happened earlier one other time during the Reagan administration, they actually flew the bill halfway around the world so he could sign it. Mm. In the Bush administration, this issue came up and they decided to finally decide it. And so the Office of Legal Counsel wrote a 28-page opinion saying that, yes, you can sign with an auto, the president can sign with an auto pen, and kind of looking at the history of what the word sign meant, means and meant in the 18th century. And then it's a very, very thorough opinion. And so when this came up in the Obama uh, uh, administration on the Patriot Act, Obama relied on this Bush administration memo saying that, yes, you can do this, and he, and he had it signed by auto pen. But some people still think uh, that it's unconstitutional and that the president should actually pick up a pen and sign the actual bill personally. Well, I think I'm with that camp. I mean, you know, I don't like to stand on ceremony or anything, but if there's any place to stand on ceremony, it would seem to me that, you know, the president signing a bill should actually do it with the cameras rolling and everything to avoid any confusion, considering how important some of these laws can be. Yeah, I mean, what I mean, eventually we're going to let them just kind of call in and leave a voicemail and say, "Yeah, that law's okay." Okay, <laughs> that's all right. Let's See go with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell us that uh, about whether you think we need a refresher course on certain parts of the Constitution. Now, I take now, and you'll forgive me, but I take it you do teach con law at BU. 
Uh, no, not really. Okay. What is, I'm sorry. What do you teach at BU? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I have taught, I don't teach the basic constitutional law course, uh, because, because everybody wants to teach that. And so it's hel- been held on to by many people for a long time. And I can't, I can't break into the curriculum, I know, but I, do, I, hear you, yeah. uh, I do teach, I have taught the first amendment course mm-hmm. and I do teach a law and religion constitutional law class. Mm-hmm. And I teach administrative law, which has a lot of separation of powers, constitutional stuff in it. So I do teach constitutional law, but I don't teach the constitutional law class. Do you think the public's knowledge of the, the Constitution is sufficient the way we teach it in schools or everything? Or do most people misinterpret the whole deal? Uh, I think, well, I think people know a good amount about the Constitution, but it does would not hurt to know more and to talk about it more, uh, I think, in our public uh, conversations. I mean, it is our fundamental law. It constitutes the country. So we ought to know what it says. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ought to also under, understand some of the difficulties that uh, exist when you try to understand what it means now. So I think it's a good thing to, uh, to, to, to study a lot. And I, you know, I think that everybody should buy my book and, and read it. Well, I, I agree <laughs> completely. And again, available on Amazon.com, The Odd Clauses, Understanding the Constitution Through Ten of Its Most Curious Provisions. Part of the, the premise of the book seems to be that when the Constitution was written, it used some unusual language that, that maybe never really got ironed out. But how about the... How about the Fifth Amendment? Is the Fifth Amendment the one that lets us have guns? I'm, 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 no, the Second Amendment. Second. Okay, see, see how far off I am. The, only um, three amendments. Oh, the Fifth Amendment is self-incrimination. Okay, good. Uh, it's been a while since law school. You'll pardon me, Professor Watson. I, I uh, definitely pardon Okay, so the second, so the second Amendment is um, not too far off the dynamic you're describing, but of course it's very it's politically charged in its own way. And uh, you know the opponents of the Second Amendment say it's in there because you know people used to have to you know hunt and and you know kill their meal basically for <laughs> for at, at that point in time when the constitution was drafted times have changed and, and and guns are not as necessary to survive does it is is it is it possible that this falls into the very dynamic you're describing well the second amendment is a it's a perfect example of one of those constitutional provisions that uh was not didn't do anything for a really really long time and then all of a sudden came back um, it's in my book. I describe these uh, creatures. I, I analogize all these constitutional provisions to animals, and this one is, is the is the coelacanth, which is this uh, crazy prehistoric fish that everybody thought was extinct uh, for millions of years until they found one in 1937. Mm-hmm. Now they realize they're all over the place. Well, the Second Amendment, people knew what it was, but no court had talked about it for uh, 150 years or something, and then. You know, five years ago, the Supreme Court said, oh, it actually is quite important and it does regulate, it does restrict the government and what it can do when it regulates guns. Um, I'm not a Second Amendment expert, so I don't really know quite what I think about it. Uh, it's, uh, but, but, but there is certainly ambiguity there as to whether, as you were saying, whether, you know, historically it meant, it meant about protecting people's right to join a militia, for example, or, or is it really about a personal right to own guns? And, and I think we can argue about that, and we have, and uh, now it's part of our – now the, the thing is, is a constitutional, uh, you know, the forefront. That's what's, that's what's known as a diplomatic answer, Professor. But that's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll let it go because it's not in your book. So, and uh, At any rate, we're going to take a quick break. Now we will return to talk with Professor Jay Wexler about his book and the oddities of the Constitution. Join us when we return.
Located in Boston and steeped in 139 years of a rich tradition, BU Law is ranked number one in the nation for best professors and number eight for best classroom experience, according to the Princeton Review. BU Law, admitting students regardless of race, religion, or gender since 1872, and training them to become leaders in the law. Visit the website and see for yourself at www.bu.edu forward slash law. Think you might like to have us create your own podcast on LegalTideNetwork.com? Go to the website and send us an email, or just give us a call at 781-551-9960. It's the best move you'll make in legal marketing. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. Welcome back to the BU Law Podcast. I'm your host, David Yaz, proud alum of the law school. More importantly, my guest today is Professor Jay Wexler. He is the author of The Odd Clauses, Understanding the Constitution Through 10 of Its Most Curious Provisions, available on Amazon.com. That's Jay Wexler, W-E-X-L-E-R. Okay, that's a powerful plug right there. Thank you. But get the book. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's, a, it's looking at the Constitution in a way that you normally wouldn't. And it involves some humor because, after all, some of these oddities of the Constitution are sort of offbeat and perhaps rife for, ripe for satire. And uh, the professor uses this. So, Jay, tell us about this. Tell us how – because there are, there are um, you know, people in the, in the media and um, – Gary Gullman, who actually reviewed your your book, this is a guy who's been on Letterman, says he loves it, and it's an utterly entertaining constitutional law book. That's some high praise. Tell us about how you use humor in the book. Well, I I, I try to uh, I try to sprinkle humor around in the book. I try. It's not a humor book, uh, and so I want to make it so that if you humor is really subjective, and uh, and I want to make it so that if you don't like the humor, you still like the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's there, and the and the reason that I use humor in my book is primarily because I'm basically a wannabe comedy writer, I think. And um, if I were funnier, I, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be writing Modern Family or something. But um, <laughs> while I'm kind of a relatively funny law professor, which is not a, any huge achievement, uh, I'm not a funny, funny person. So I can't really do that. Uh, Goldman, now that's a funny, funny person. Um, but so so I use it because I just I, I like to and I have to and uh, it, it's hard to write a book taking two it takes like a couple of years to write a book and if it I wasn't able to make some jokes while I was doing it I think I would go crazy but 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 the I like to think that it's legitimate to use it uh, to use humor and kind of be entertaining because uh, law of course can be really dry and really uh, boring if you're not passionate about it and I think that using a little humor and a little offbeat language and things like that makes it easier for this stuff to go down if you're not, you know, a lawyer and, but you're still interested in the law. So, um, I, I there's somebody, uh, somebody else at my, my previous law professor, Pam Carlin, uh, who is herself a hilarious person, um, gave me this great, uh, review where she said that, uh, you'll have so much fun reading about these constitutional provisions. You won't realize, you know, what you've learned until you're done with the book. And that's mm. exactly what I was uh, hoping for. You know, like the idea is you read it and it's really fun and it's funny and you, and, it la- and you laugh. And then at the end you go, Oh yeah, I learned about these, uh, 10 clauses and a bunch of important things. And so that's, that's what I'm aiming for. That's why I use it. Humor is ab- absolutely one of the hardest things to write simply because it, it's, if you don't, hit the joke like you want to, it it appears 
clumsy and it and it's there's nothing worse than humor writing that just doesn't work that's um, true that's true so and uh i've done it over the years when i used to work at lawyers weekly i i wrote a piece that for a legal newspaper that was designed to be funny and i, I always tried to not take sort of cheap lawyer jokes because lawyers don't want to hear lawyer jokes <laughs> but yet there's plenty in the law um that is you know, they are targets for humor. And lawyers want to laugh at themselves just like everybody else. There are enough serious, very, very serious topics in the law um, that uh, are, you know, available for comedy. And when I wrote it, people used to say it was the dessert after the meat and potatoes of the law. <laughs> so have so people seem to have uh, appreciated what you've injected here? Uh, I think so. I mean, it's funny. Some of the some of the uh, Amazon reviews are, are starting to come in, mm -hmm. and uh, it seems like people really like it. And the difference between whether they love it or they just really like it is whether they like the humor. Mm -hmm. But so it's working out perfectly. Like people who say uh, I'm not so f fond of the humor still really like the book and recommend the book. And that's and then there are other people who love the humor, and so they like the book even more. But but so that's perfect. Uh, I'm glad I haven't alienated anyone with the humor, and I've attracted some people with it. Well, key, I encourage you to keep at it. It's a humor is actually harder work than most people think. There, there's a scene in the in the movie Mr. Saturday Night where Billy Crystal plays an, an aging comic, and he says to his friend that in in a stand-up he used to look at a woman and say, "Who does your makeup? The circus." And that wasn't funny enough, so he came back and says, "Excuse me, lady, who does your makeup? Ringling Brothers." And then everyone laughed, and because it was more specific, but you have to work at it. So yeah, there, it's there you go. Really, you can I, use mean, that. I think Goman works really hard to come up with those. Uh, he does great riffs on all sorts of things, and it's uh, it's a lot of work. It, it was work to write this glowing review of your book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and that 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 obviously came very naturally oh. to him. So what what's what's um. Can you do this again? Can you go back and look at other laws and, and write a second book? Will this continue to be part of your mission? Well, I, I hope to keep writing books uh, that are in this vein, you know, mm -hmm. about law, but also sprinkled with humor. Uh, probably not another book about other parts of the Constitution. And I'm, although if there's, you know, a great demand for sequel and, and the cash is there, I'll do it. But um, but my guess is it'll be about something else. Um, right now, for example, I'm, I'm thinking about writing a book on a case in front of the Supreme Court about whether the FCC can ban uh, like um, broadcasters from saying fleeting expletives. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, a, that's just a case which is really important from a First Amendment and administrative law perspective, but it's also really funny because it involves, you know, Paris Hilton swearing on, on stage and stuff. So, mm. uh, so I, think, I think there's a lot of opportunity to write books that are informative and also fun about the law, and I hope to keep doing it. I'm with you. One of the last pieces I wrote for Lawyers Weekly involved a lawsuit where a gentleman had brought a, a class action suit against a cereal company because he was upset that crunch berries didn't contain actual fruit. I remember that. Yes. So, <laughs> and he was unsuccessful. Um, <laughs> the fact that anyone would expect to get some vitamin C out of those, those crunch berries. Not like a good fresh glass of crunch berry juice it, in the it, morning. Precisely. Precisely. But, but you know, again, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, if you, there's actually a blog that tracks the jokes made during oral arguments of the U.S. Supreme Court. And which is a strange pursuit in and of itself, but it, it goes to show that, that even those judges want to laugh occasionally. It's the, the law is fraught with so much procedure and seriousness, but these are, these are real people that do these things. So, so I applaud you. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. 
Well, once again, special thanks to Jay. Jay Wexler, Professor Jay Wexler, joining us today and to all of our listeners. And, and so, uh, again, if, we, if people want to learn more about the book, I've, I'm directing them to Amazon.com. Is there a way, Professor, that people can get in touch with you, either through the BU Law website or, or oh, otherwise? absolutely. Email okay. me at jaywex at bu.edu. My information's all online. Nothing's hidden. I'm happy to talk to anybody about anything. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, you heard that, everyone. His life's an open book, so please hit him up. <laughs> and uh, this has been a lot of fun, so I, I thank you, Jay, and I, and I wish you the very best. Um, you can find all the editions of the BU Law Podcast on Legal Talk Network, the BU Law website, as well as in iTunes. I'm David Yes. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, everyone. And until we meet again, case closed. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the BU Law Podcast. Check out what else is happening on campus at bu.edu forward slash law.